Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with science advisor Matt Moniz and psychic medium Stephanie Burke. And we are here to talk with you about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night. And we have a, a, a heck of a show for you planned tonight. We're going to be joined in a little while by Al Tyus. He's going to be talking with us about his new book. It's called Project Rabbit Hole. And it's all about his individual theories on the paranormal and stuff that he's come up with uh, over his time investigating. And I think it'll be, you know, slightly controversial to some degree because... Some people are going to be... Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think uh, I think people will listen to what... We might even have some controversy in the room here with them as well. So... What? I'm Why just, do you look at me? <laughs> because you deal with spirits in a much different way than I the do. rest of us do. I do. So I think that that could play a part in the discussion tonight we'll see and uh of course we want to uh remind everybody too there won't be a show next week i'm going to be hanging out at the oliver house so we'll Maybe have I'll to come crash you know where to find us well you know where the oliver house is whether or not yeah, we're there when you get there is a different story you know where to find me if i'm not at the oliver house i know where to find you anytime any day that's true but you know if i'm in middleborough and i'm not at the oliver house the other place that i'm at right the Trout Oak Tavern. I was going to say, can we talk about it? I can, because I'm the endorser for it. So wow. I can say it now. I can plug them on the air. So, uh, But uh, absolutely, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> looking forward to getting out there and investigating for the first time since, what, like last October. I don't think I've had the chance to do anything. So I was kind of itching. And Christy reached out to me and said, hey, you want to come by for our pro night? And I said, oh, uh, yeah. Sounds like a blast. So, so we won't have a show next week. But that's okay. There will be... Um, There'll be one the week after, and then we won't have a show after that again, because Stephanie and I will be out of town. We will. We will be at the Dunlora Inn in Virginia together. And, uh, well, not together. Yeah. No. No, not together. <laughs> I mean, we'll be there physically I just wanted to mess in the same up. spot. I just want to mess you up. Uh, no, that, and, and, uh, and it sounds, there's still some tickets available if people want to take there part? There are some still, uh, still available. Yep, not many. So jump on those if you have not yet. And no, the truth is that we'll be there with Scott Porter. And even though he and I are in a relationship, you guys have a bromance. So I'll probably be the third it's wheel. It's a very weird it's, thing. It is. It is. Like, it's really strange how it all works out. But the, and we'll be there with some other friends too. A lot of, a lot of, uh, I'm so excited for that. A lot of great people yes. that we know that are going. So it should be a good time. And uh, so there won't be a show that week either. But then, you know, we'll be here pretty much every week after that. There's, uh, well, we get that thing in uh, May in april yeah there's there's kind of stuff happening you know on odd weekends now and then but for the most part you know we'll be able to we'll be able to broadcast the good thing too is um we're starting to put some stuff into play that might allow us to broadcast remotely a little easier too so that'll be fun people are saying that they can't hear me just you no they can because i didn't press that button oh okay Hi, so, everyone that couldn't hear me before. Listen, this, they're not supposed to change settings in here. Right. But it happens all the time because what happens is is the nobody, there's people here that don't know how to fix the things on the board. And granted, now it took me forever to, to learn it all too. Mm -hmm. But there's people that don't know how to fix it. So what they do is when something goes wrong, they just come in and start pressing all the buttons. All right. They said that we don't have video either. They oh, yeah, still can't hear me That's because I didn't transition the video over. All right. They still can't hear me. I'm over two. Well, it's like three minutes behind. Oh, so. okay. Okay. The, um, the 
so people come in and they just start mashing all the buttons and things get all changed and i take it for granted that when i come in here it's all ready to go so i have to do a better job of checking all the buttons first uh one of the things that uh came out this week and i just wanted to see i'm sure moniz will have a reaction to it i'm sure stephanie wanted nothing to do with it <laughs> did you see the trailer for the new Candyman film that's coming out no, but I heard a couple of people talking about it. Oh, you have to check it out. It looks pretty good. It's So Jordan Peele is producing it. And did you see Get Out or Us? I know you don't watch horror movies. But I, no. I saw some somebody writing that um, he wasn't, he was a, a writer more than anything else. Yeah, so. well, yeah, his company's producing it and he wrote the script. But there's a, a new director, it's her first right. time directing, yeah. uh, who is the director of the film. But... I think Stephanie, you could watch those movies, and mm. they're not horror movies. Per I like se. psychological thrillers. That's what they it's are, more, yeah, like a, like a Shutter Island. Uh, you guys see that one? I, yep. Yeah, I, like where it's like a huge something. twist at the end type of thing. Like I like that stuff. Um, as far as like gore and like somebody hunting you down or something terrifying, there, not my there thing. are there is a little bit of I don't want to say gore gore, but it it. Oh yeah, people it, people get killed. In yeah. Us. but in it. So, you know, Get Out is very much social commentary, more than yeah. anything. Very psychological thriller aspect to it. But Us is a little bit more, a little mo- more brutal. Because what it is, is it's, it's, there's, I mean, it's not ruining the movie for you. It's in the trailer. Yeah. There's like carbon copies of them hunting them down. Okay. So it's, you know, it was pretty good. I thought that one kind of lost me at the end. Which most you know horror movies do, but uh, the the first the the Get Out movie was uh, really great, and so if you are a fan of those, you might like this take on Candyman because there is some you know there's some social commentary in it, but it seems like they're calling it a spiritual sequel to the original. I don't know why they have to use that phrase, you know, a spiritual because it's sequel. A, it's a tag word right now. Yeah, I mean they, they use it for a lot of different films. But I, you know, I don't think that they need to do that because it sounds like it could very much be a direct sequel. I mean, Tony Todd is. I was going to say, is Tony Todd playing it? So, and 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 all the events of the first films, from what I understand, aren't wiped away. There was what three? I think. Yeah. I have a funny Tony Todd story. So I would think that if this is the way that it's going to go, they could have just called it a sequel. But whatever. But uh, you know, everybody's a buzz about it with both. Positive and negative comments. I think overwhelmingly positive is the fact that Tony Todd is coming back. Everybody seems to be mm-hmm. in support of that. But then there's other people that are saying, well, you know, this seems, you know, about as original as The Force Awakens compared to Star Wars, that they're just rehashing everything and they're basically rebooting it without calling it a reboot. But. I mean, they're rebooting everything right now. But it's been long enough where it makes sense to do reboots, but do them right. Yeah, people complain about everything. reboots, but if you think about it, a lot of storylines get changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I mean, get uh, repeated with slight changes, right? And they just call it a different movie. So you know, there's, there's. I'm trying to think of an example. The Amityville, one of your favorites. How many times has that been morphed? Right, but I'm thinking more like so. You know, like um, Apocalypse Now. Okay. Is really just Heart of Darkness. It's really just just that book, Heart of Darkness, told in a more modern way. And so I think that with a lot of these reboots and the remakes, they do the same thing. They take a core storyline and they just kind of update it. Like, so 
you know, everybody knows how much I'm a fan of the film Poltergeist. It's probably my favorite movie of all time. But they came out with that 2015 version of it. I think it was 2015. And everybody complained that it was a remake of Poltergeist. But I didn't get the sense that it was. It it certainly seemed like it was outside of the realm of the Poltergeist universe. But it was a similar type of haunting with a similar type of family. They didn't have the same names. Mm-hmm. They didn't have the same situations happen over and over again. Although you know we we got the clown and all that, but it, you know there was there was differences between it to make it just enough of a difference. So I don't know. I'm, I don't really hate it when they do something like that. I really I don't like it when they do a complete and total remake because then you're like, well, what was the point of that? Like, why did we need to remake this so that we could have you know Channing Tatum star in it so that we get you know, a more modern version of it. Although that being said, I loved the 21 Jump Street movies. <laughs> did you really? I did. I, and I was against them to begin with because I was a big fan of the original 21 Jump Street. But when they decided to go with a total comedic take on it, I I realized how wrong I was. Like, that was just perfect. And then they tried to do it with other stuff too and it didn't work out so well. I think the Baywatch movie flopped. They mm-hmm. tried to do the same thing with that. They did a Chips movie. You know all this stuff, so I don't I don't think it worked out as well as some of those other ideas. But it it seems to work in horror. And now the big news uh, is that they're looking into making a new Evil Dead movie. So Sam Raimi won't direct it; he's going to produce it, I guess. But there'll be another director that directs it, and Bruce Campbell won't have anything to do with it. It won't be it won't have anything to do with Ash. Then okay. Um, is Bruce Campbell came out and said, you know, it's time for somebody else to, to do battle. It doesn't have to be Ash's story anymore. And if you if you watch the Ash versus Evil Dead series, yeah, it, uh, it, you know, it, it, you, yeah. you, they kind of wrapped it up to some degree. I'd like to see more of it. And if they came out with another season, I would love it. But, you know, I, I think somebody they, else take over the mantle. Basically. And that's that's what it is. Yeah. You know, somebody else is going to go into a cabin and find the book and then we'll go from or there. wherever they put it. Well, based on history yeah. of the how many movies they've done and yeah. how many times they've gone through, it'll definitely be a cabin in the woods. Uh, but we will uh, we will talk more about those films as they come out, and you know, maybe we can even do some some movie reviews. I've been trying for years to get somebody to give us horror movie reviews as part of the show, and I can just never get anybody that's a, a good enough reviewer. So hopefully, uh, we can fix that at some point. And if anybody out there has any ideas and you want to do it let me know also i'm going to just let something slip here that uh what's that well i told you guys off the air but um last night on midnight in the desert there was a a an issue (laughs) where the guest disappeared at the end of the second hour Mm -hmm. and then i had to kind of just freeform for an hour by myself which lesson learned i will always have a stack of things prepared now right i mean you're, you're so good at that anyways well, but sometimes, you know, it catches you off guard. You expect, like, you look at a conversation that's planned out and the notes for it and how, where you want to take it, and you say, there's no way we're going to fit all of the stuff that I want to talk about into three hours. Mm-hmm. So you don't really worry about having extra material. Well, in this case, we only got two hours because something happened. Uh, and if you aren't a subscriber, if you aren't a time traveler and you don't have a subscription to Midnight in the Desert, uh, I would recommend getting one. Of course, because it helps the show, but also you can download last night's episode and 
Tune in at one hour and 40 minutes. Tune in at that mark, the one hour, 40 minute mark of the recording, and you'll hear what happened. You might have to put on headphones, but you'll hear what happened. Hopefully we can get Ashley Mortimer back on the show and uh, continue that discussion because it was a great, lively, fascinating discussion up until that point. All right, well, let's get into it with our guest tonight. Uh, we have joining us on the line, we have Al Tyus. Al, are you with us? Hold on, let's see if we can feed you through. There we go. Are you with us, Al? Yes, sir. There you are. All right, how are you doing tonight? Uh, not too bad, not too bad. It's a little bit cold, and hopefully my uh, reception will be okay, because sometimes it gets a little bit staticky with, um, with, with it, but it, it should be all right. It sounds good to me. Uh, so thank you for, for reaching out. And, uh, of course, you have published uh, a book, a new book, that you have put out yourself uh, called Project Rabbit Hole. And, you know, I, I, I think, I don't know if I mentioned this to you in our exchanges, but I get a lot of times that people will say to me, oh, I've put out a book, I've, I've self-published this book. And sometimes I kind of say to myself, yep, okay, we'll get to you. And I don't really give it a second thought. When mm -hmm. you when you sent me you know the the idea of what it was and when you sent me the book itself and I opened it up I was all in because great <laughs> it, it's it's been a while since I've seen somebody that has said you know I'm gonna think outside the box here and take some chances in what I'm gonna put out there but it's all stuff that comes from your own experience and your own investigation majority of it is yeah it comes from uh, my own experience as a retired investigator, and also um, the research I found out that I kind of built upon my uh, experience. So I kind of like look at it uh, both both ways like that. So in the areas where I didn't have that much experience, I went out and interviewed people who did have um, direct experiences. Like uh, there's a guy who um, had direct encounters with um, gray aliens, for example, the Grays, and I interviewed him and other people like that. So, yeah. But most of it is uh, based on my, my own experiences. So you are you're originally from this area, from the South Coast Actually, area? yeah, I am. I'm actually, I actually was born in Providence. Um, well, actually, I was born in Providence. They're not, I'm not from the South Coast, but I do uh, spend a lot of time down in um, the New Orleans area. That's my uh, kind of second home, and I go there quite a bit to research on Louisiana. I kind of like geographically kind of forgot where you are. And oh, stuff, we're, so. we're, we're right on the south coast of Massachusetts. So. Oh, yeah, the south coast of Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. I grew up in Providence, actually, Providence, Rhode Island. And um, I have family in uh, the Seekonk area up there. And uh, I spend a lot of time up in the area, like, you know, Fall River, um, North Attleboro, um, all that kind of an area like that. Uh, kind of like the factory, the big factory areas like that you know so um yeah and i had my my first experience in um mass uh in uh, massachusetts as, as well yeah i was reading about so, that um, in, in the book i mean I, I you don't name it directly in the book but i think if you've mentioned where it happened here on the show i think most people are going to know what you were talking about yeah yeah it's a defunct it's long it's long defunct now anyways it's lincoln park uh, um and um I can't remember the name off the top of my head of the town it was. North something? North, North Dartmouth. North Dartmouth. Okay, I was close. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's, that's kind of where it all started when I was about, um, I was seven years old. It was 1979, and uh, that was kind of like the, the experience that kind of, pardon the pun, that kind of haunted me for um, 
a big part of, of my of my life. And when you grew up in, you know, the New England area, you always kind of have that bit of a, an eeriness, and you always hear the old stories, and you, you kind of, like, know the lore very well with, with um with growing up in um, in, in southern New England uh, in particular, but that was kind of what what set the ball um, rolling for me in a sense. And I kind of call it my seven year um, stint because I ha- I saw one um, apparition when I was seven. I saw another one when I was fourteen, and then I saw one of an app- I saw one. I'm not going to call it a, a ghost or an apparition because it was my grandfather and he was still alive. But he was um, ailing from cancer at the time and died uh, the following month. And that was when I was 21. So it was kind of like the seven-year thing for a while there with it. Uh, and eventually I just started to really kind of like want to delve more into this and see really what, what was what was going on with it. And uh, I started investigating in 99. And I ended in 2000 about that and um so i guess you could say like i was one of the the, i was kind of one of the first ones that did it like before it kind of got really mainstream and and then you know it it seems like you got out of it right before it really kind of blew up i got out of it right before it kind of blew up yeah and i i got out of it for um a variety of reasons and you know there's like the the burnt out part of it and all that but really i got out of it because i found out what i was looking for and i realized that it was not um i realized quite frankly that a lot of this element is very dangerous that i don't want to sound like uh kind of like a holy roller with it because i'm not looking at it from the danger point of view from a religious perspective but um I'm looking at it as these um, entities that I was investigating that I initially thought were just the disembodied spirits of dead people, in a lot of my cases, were not the disembodied spirits of dead people. There were other things. And uh, no matter how much you kind of get prepared for that, they kind of like, um, I don't know how to explain it, but they kind of, they know what scares you, know what bothers you, and they kind of know ways to kind of manipulate things in ways that we don't quite understand. I always kind of say like that um, if you look at the carrot on the stick, you know, we're kind of like the bait for whatever comes out to grab the carrot like that, you know, while we're looking for whatever it is to kind of hunt it or whatever it is like that, and they know exactly what we're doing at every with with it um i know that's a lot to unpack but i just said so i can i can i'd be happy to elaborate on it yeah well i i think that you know there's there's a lot of people who have had these experiences uh and who have become investigators as a result of having those experiences that uh-huh. you know they at first uh, on the surface they might say well you know my my experience and my investigation doesn't really match up with what al is saying but then the more you think about it the more it, it kind of does in some cases because there's it's it, everything that we experience and everything that we chronicle when we're investigating is being filtered through our perception of it and exactly. it's not always you know, we're not always filtering it the right way. 
Exactly, exactly. We're limited with our five senses, for one thing, and we're kind of limited with our minds in another way. And we tend to think, you know, oh, you know, you got an EVP that sounds like a woman, therefore it's a woman. You know, mm-hmm. there are these um, visions that people claim that they see a little girl running around. Oh, there must be a little girl that's haunting it. But I kind of delve into the real big, more global research of things. And what I found to be the most compelling after my own personal experiences when I was, well, after I left the whole field is that uh, what we believe now in regards to, we'll just say the ghost and hauntings, because that's a big part of my book, uh, the ghost, uh, ghost and hauntings is our Right, right here, right now, our time in history, our place, our culture, our beliefs. It was never like this before, and it probably won't be like this in a hundred years from now. It's probably going to be very different. This is where we're at, and this is not always where we were at with things. You know, it's just been kind of like a recent kind of a trend that people seem to think that whatever is um, haunting or occupying an area is a ghost. You know, our ancestors did not believe that at all. And um, in some ways they did, in some ways they didn't. But if you go back in history, you'll notice that this is a recent phenomenon that only came up like, oh, you know, it's the ghost of a, uh, of a person and we have to help them and we have to document the activity and what da, 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 like that. And, any, and anybody can do it. And it's really kind of cool and fun. Like that, right? You know, so you, you mean the the actual you know, investigation of it? The actual investigation yeah. part of it, yeah, and the belief that comes um, with it as well. Like if I were to say to um, a group of federal investigators, like if, let's say they get an email, and um, the email says, um, "My house is I'm I grew up Roman Catholic, and I believe my house is haunted by the spirit of a six year old girl who killed herself in the house." And most investigators would be like, oh, yeah, I'm totally on board with this, you know, and they'll go running with it. And now what if it's like um, I am an Islamic, I'm a Muslim immigrant, and I believe that my house is haunted by a jinn that has um, attacked five members of my family so far. Can you help? They're probably going to be a lot more reluctant to go into it. But how do you know what it really is? Right. Because you're going by the perceptive perspective, the perceptive of what the um, perception of what uh, people are kind of telling you with it, and like I tell you, in my area, um, I live in the Washington D.C. metro area, and we have people from all over the world here, and I've had cases that um, have been gin. I've had cases that have been um, elementals. I've had cases that are long past anything that that was ever a disembodied spirit of a person. And I reached a point where I kind of knew when you go in, you can't make an assumption of what it really is because you really don't know. But you have to kind of go by an idea of something with it. But uh, you can't be kind of like, you know, fastened to that uh, particular um, belief with it because it could be something very different once you get down to the, the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah, and, and, and I think that that's something that people lose sight of uh, on investigations is again, you know, just as what we encounter when we investigate is being filtered mm-hmm. through our our own beliefs and experiences, so is the activity that people are reporting to you. And yeah. 
you know, it, it you're you're supposed to be going in there with no preconceived notion of what it is that you're dealing with, even based on the story. I mean, I can tell you there's been countless times that people have said, well, I think that we have something demonic here. And then when you get there, it's nothing demonic. It's just something that is, you know, kind of lashing out a little bit. But you're you're throwing around some terms uh, with talking about gin and elementals and everything. Let's just take mm -hmm. a step back and a little bit. And for those who are unfamiliar and describe the differences between the, the different types of entities. Yeah, um, I have a section in my book called Persephone's Kin, and it really kind of um, talks about about that, uh, the different types of entities. And one is an elemental, which is like a nature spirit, and those are the spirits that are kind of out in the world and that, and uh, they pretty much mind their own business until we kind of mess with their turf or we inadvertently bring one into our homes. And they've been, they've been documented for centuries. They're kind of known as the little people for some for a lot of um, people, or, the, or um, even like the fairy folk or the fae for other people. And every culture seems to have some sort of a relation with um, these kinds of beings. And they kind of like are um, attached to the four elementals throughout the air, fire, and water. And they can uh, inadvertently get kind of stuck in, in a home, and when that happens, things will actually happen with the particular thing. Sometimes it can be poltergeist activity, sometimes it'll be water that'll be puddling around, uh, sometimes it'll be um, things that are just like smashing or breaking, because they're kind of like wild animals and they get stuck. You know, it's kind of like, okay, you have like a bobcat stuck in your house now, what are you going to do? You know, and... The, the, the elemental can't figure out how to get out or anything like that. I've had about, I've had two of them. Um, I had one directly come into my, my home one time that a pagan dumped, uh, dumped, accidentally dumped into it. And I actually saw the thing. It was like three feet tall and brown. And I was having all sorts of things happening in my home until I, I banished it. Uh, and that's when I first started learning about, about those things. It was brown and short and I only saw it in the corner of my eye, and when I looked at it directly, it was dark to another part of the room. And that was what I—that was like around around 2000, 2001 when I was pretty new with this stuff. And that was kind of what got me into the research of the elementals uh, and those those kinds of things. Jin uh, are um, advanced, are kind of like much more intelligent. I think they're into. into interdimensional spirits, they're very much associated with Islam, but they're not um, created by Islam. They were created long before Islam existed. And they um, are interesting because they're kind of, they're not demons and they're not angels. And they're kind of new to our belief system because nobody's really had that much encounters with the Middle East where they primarily um, uh, talked about, but they come male and female, they have family structure, they actually have government structure, they have social structure, and they have all those kinds of things, and they tend to be the ones that they have, they also differ from angels and demons because they have free will, and they do whatever they want to do, kind of like us. And as we're curious about them, they can be just as curious as us, but a lot of them see us as kind of like being like um, almost like insects or animals or something, and they can and they will torment us if they want to. Some of them will have that mean streak in them. 
like and, that. And did you and, did you say that they have a, like a societal and, and governmental structure to them? Yeah, yeah. They have leaders. They have kind of like officials in their own in their own um, realm. They kind of have leaders. They have the people that kind of look over the rest of them. They have hierarchies. They have uh, different things like that. And really, um, most of them uh, keep to themselves. They really do keep to themselves, but they tend to uh, be comfortable in areas in our world that are abandoned by us, like abandoned buildings, for example, uh, or areas that have a lot of water. Sometimes they like caves and sometimes like things on the ground, but they tend to like places that are kind of dark and desolate and away from human activity. So when a paranormal investigator goes to a an old abandoned asylum or something like that, that's where my red flags go up. When I feel like, you know, if you went to this place and something followed you home, chances are it's not the ghost of a patient that was there, especially when they start describing what was what's going on with them afterwards, the, the things that have been happening since they've been there. And I've I've dealt with that a lot of times. I've become pretty convinced through my research and through the events that have happened, both me and to um, other people, that it could be classified as a a gin like like that. Absolutely, you know. And we're really starting to learn more and more about them just recently, since we were kind of isolated from that concept, and all we knew about them were like, you know, goofy sitcoms from the '60s and Disney movies. You right. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's and, and I, yeah, like I think at all. I think Rosemary Ellen Guiley wrote a, a book about them too that kind of helped draw them a little bit more to the forefront of of paranormal yeah. investigation. She did, and what was great about her book is that she used a lot of secular uh, research with it as well as uh, Middle Eastern research. She wrote, um, I think, I think it's called Vengeful Jin, if I remember correctly, because I used it as a reference for um, for my book, and uh, she became really the I know she, she passed away last year, mm-hmm. but she became like a real um, forefront of, of the gin, and she took it very, very seriously and gave a lot of great comparisons to um, gin and other, other beings, kind of like what I did with with it. And uh, she's on the ball with a lot of that stuff. And But the biggest thing, I think, with, with it is how she wasn't too clear about if you have an encounter going on, what would be a ghost or be a gin? You know, there's, I think there are distinct differences with them if it's a alleged haunted environment with it. But um, everybody has a different opinions on it. But gin uh, can be good, they can be bad, they can do a lot of things that seem demonic, uh, but they're not naturally antagonistic towards us like humans are. They kind of have a choice to either like us, not like us, or completely ignore us. You know, they they all have different opinions about us, like we have different opinions about them. So I think that's what makes it, um, you know, kind of um, kind of different. And uh, magicians can summon them, like a cultist can actually summon them to kind of bind them as well, like that. And it's a little bit different with that than it is with a ghost or a spirit. Um, because I've had experiences with with that as well, where people use these beings in rituals too, which is a big problem as well. But I kind of jumped to the tangent with that. <laughs> but uh, 
there are, but there are a lot of different ones like that, and they're apparitions, which are basically kind of residuals of things that people generally see. And we don't usually interact with them so much, but there are exceptions to that. And the biggest one that I wrote about was um, the images of the woman at Fatima in Portugal in 1917, um, assumed to be the Virgin Mary, and how that changed the entire, how that really just changed that entire culture to kind of turned it upside down when those um, visions were coming up, and there are still references to those um, visions today, because they were just really one of the very few uh, ex- examples of things that happened that we just can't really even explain now what exactly happened in, in that event. So I look at all the different types of things, and I try to break them down and divide them up and say, like, okay, you can't just take this and all be the exact same thing. They all have differences with it. And this is where the differences are with it. Uh, and then I go into, like, examples of it, and I use history to kind of show how we got to where we are in, um, in the fourth chapter of the book. And I want to also mention, too, that you include in this, uh, you know, it's not just spirits, elementals, jinn, demons, angels. You're also including aliens in this. I am. I am. But I'm giving a different perspective on, on aliens. Um, my focus is primarily on the gray aliens, because that's what people seem to see the most. And I give it kind of like, at least in our hemisphere and in our, um, and kind of like the Western world, that's what people see the most with it. But what I thought was very interesting was I researched Jacques Vallée, the UFO expert, um, and the UFO and alien expert, and his, and when he went to the Soviet Union in the 80s, of course, back then when the Iron Curtain was up, we had very limited dialogic communication with the USSR, and he chronicled example experiences that people have had with extraterrestrial beings, alleged extraterrestrial beings, on their side of things, and they looked completely different than the ones that we saw. They didn't look like gray aliens at all. They had a whole different look to them. And that's what really made me think of two things. And one is that we put the images on these things to kind of have them make sense to us. Like in the sci-fi world like that, now we're, of course, in the 50s, everything was becoming space age. And these things almost kind of evolved into looking alien-like. Because I don't believe they're space creatures. I really don't. I think, if anything, they're either interdimensional travelers or they're kind of an upgrade of the other things that we have been researching and experiencing for years like that. They just kind of upgraded, because if you look at their actions and behaviors, they're very, very similar to um, the little people uh, a couple of centuries ago. They just have a very modern look to them. But like I said before, though, um, Soviets had a very different look than the Soviet ones had a very different look than um, we had with them. They had like, they looked more like robotic robots, kind of clunky, kind of like um, square shaped. Some of them didn't even have any heads. They just had like weird look to them, but they did the exact same thing that the Greys did on our side of things as well. But they would leave offerings out to them so they wouldn't come in and invade their home. 
And I went, aha, that's another link to the nature spirit right there, you know. Um, if you leave, if you appease them, they won't um, bother you. And a lot of the Soviet little towns all across Russia uh, that had experiences with the, with um, creatures like that, um, they would um, that were new as well. They didn't look anything like the old um, the old nature spirits that they had. They kind of got an upgrade into those weird things that they saw. But they they learned to um, appease them as well, so they wouldn't get abducted. <laughs> because they did have uh, abductions with them as well. And I thought that was interesting how you had two different societies, both experiencing the behaviors that are very similar, but the appearances are very different. Well, I think uh, we're just about um, up against the break here for the news. Uh, when we would come back on the other side, I think we can kick around some of these ideas because we have uh, my co-hosts here on Spooky South Coast are Matt Moniz, who has spent years investigating UFOs, and mm-hmm. and we'll probably have some thoughts on on uh, what you're saying about aliens and and Stephanie Burke, who is a psychic medium who um, experiences spirits in in a different way than than you have. So I think we'll we'll be able to get a good roundtable discussion going uh, coming up yeah. in the next hour. Just real quickly in the final five minutes uh, that we have of this hour, you had mentioned having your first experience uh, at Lincoln Park uh, in in yeah. Dartmouth, and. Mm-hmm. Would you mind sharing that experience with us? Because a lot of people that are local are asking me, like, ask him what it was that he saw. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, they had a, um, back then they had a dark ride. It was very similar to the other ones, the Hara, the Hara House ride. Mm-hmm. And so that was the Hara's end. Um, I was seven, and I didn't, I never really liked going into those places. So, my, but my sister and my aunt did go in. And my sister was about nine at the time. My aunt was, um, about my aunt was in her early 20s. So they went in together, and I was with my mother kind of at the rail ends watching. And I watched the car, the little cart, go in to the, uh, the ride. And of course, it was like kind of like whatever, like that. And I was watching to see the carts coming out to see um, which one would have uh, my family in it. And the car came out, and it was my, my sister and my aunt, and this little girl in between them, a little black girl. And the and um and I just kind of looked like where did she come from? My, my mother laughed a little bit about it, and I wasn't sure if she saw her or not, but I thought she did. And then uh, my my sister and my aunt got out of the car, and the little girl who was in the middle got out, and she ran into the crowd. And I remember she ran kind of in front of me and exclaimed something, and ran into the crowd, and when I saw her, she was wearing clothes that looked like it was like a decade or maybe even two decades earlier than that. You know, in the 70s, everything was kind of wild with the clothing, mm-hmm. and that, especially for kids, you know, everything was... But she was dressed like um, a schoolgirl, like with, the, like with um, the plaid skirt on and the kind of like the, the hair was done a particular way, and that very similar to um, the kids that you would... The little um, African-American kids that you would see back in the 60s, like that, ready for school, and that, and I thought it was kind of unusual, like that. And uh, whenever I mentioned this this incident to my sister, she's like, "That didn't happen. There was nobody in that car, like that, you know." And it's just kind of like that. And I asked my my mother about it. She says she kind of vaguely remembers it, but uh, I saw it as clear as day. 
And I did a little bit of research on that ride. Years later, I was doing when I was writing that Project Rabbit Hole, and I found out that before it was a dark ride for horror, it was an African exhibit based on like uh, kind of it was a, like kind of a dark ride, which has like an African theme to it. So I thought that was kind of um, weird that uh, I was pointing out to that, but um, I just remember that event so well, and uh, I, it just has always um, kind of stuck stuck with me. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, we have a lot of people who have had experiences at that park over the years. I know Moniz, you've talked about having issues there, and yeah, well, I went there back after the park went in to defunctness and uh, when there were sour coons and yeah there was some echoes of the past that did come up and and now it's uh, now it's been torn down and turned into apartments so <laughs> oh okay because I remember there was a fire that burned yeah. on a lot of it mm-hmm. like and, in the late 80s I think but up, up until maybe about uh, maybe what three or four years ago the the comet was still standing the, the roller coaster and then they finally oh, wow. they finally took that down and people were breaking in there and trying to climb on it and it was dangerous but they finally took that down and then they built these these really big apartment buildings that are now taking up the whole space so I'm, I always wonder you know if anybody that lives there is having any issues but yeah I remember that that park was those, that those roller coasters were so rickety <laughs> yeah like that. it always looked like it was gonna I think that was the big wood one and it always kind yeah. of looked like it would fall apart when the when the car went by it and, and the only other thing I remember was the giant slide. Right. And and somebody did end up dying uh, on that roller coaster, a ride inspector in the eighties. So yeah. well we're up oh, against okay. the, we're up against the break here. When we come back on the other side we'll talk more with our guest Al Tyus. We'll we'll kind of get into some of this stuff and, and he can share some more of his experiences, but we'll kind of get some back and forth going. And if anybody wants to call in with any questions, five oh eight nine nine six zero five hundred. We'll be back with more spooky South Coast in a moment. two of spooky south coast tim weisberg here along with science advisor matt moniz and psychic medium stephanie burke and i think this hour i started everything correctly the camera's on the microphones are on moniz people were complaining that they couldn't see you on the camera and i tried to explain that's a bad thing yeah i tried to explain to them that the camera's positioned that way for their benefit yeah so otherwise you have this big close-up of moniz right in your face no but he's there you see there he is he's real uh, we're going to get right back into the discussion with our guest tonight, Al Tyus. Again, he is the author of the book Project Rabbit Hole, which you can pick up for yourself if uh, if you want to pick up a copy of it as we're discussing it tonight. And uh, and now, where can people pick up the book if they wanted to get a copy? Uh, I have my, my author page in lulu.com, L-U-L-U.com, slash A-T-Y-A-S, which is one place to pick it up. But it's also um, on uh, Amazon, and it's on uh, Barnes & Noble, and it's on various other um, places like that as well, but it is a, there is a discount for it on um, Lulu.com. 
Excellent. Now, before so we you check it out there, mm-hmm. before we start kicking around some of these ideas and these concepts, I want to ask you: you in, in the in the the forward to the book, you mentioned that there are six important factors to consider with the supernatural, and some of this will probably you know echo what we, we talked about in the first hour. But can we go through those six points for people so that they kind of understand where you're coming from with your research? Sure. Uh, let me get to that page here. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think you know it was a great great thing to put right at the beginning of the book because it kind of sets the tone for for where you're going with some of these thoughts and theories. And if you get these six points at the beginning, it kind of makes it so that you know um, you, you can keep that in the back of your mind as you're going through it and see how these mm-hmm. patterns start to make sense. And uh, these are the things that a lot of people they they either don't want to admit or they deny, and I've seen that quite a bit with it. Um, but uh, this is just um, on my experience, so I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, the first one is that all members of the supernatural family are related and have the same core element. And basically it means that um, they all are branches of the same tree, pretty much, is how I look at it with the various beings like that. They all have uh, different parts of things that are kind of in common. It's just that some of them are... Um, dangerous, and some of them are not, and some are more dangerous than others, is, is how I look at it. And I mentioned a few of them there, like in Poltergeist, Demons, uh, etc. Uh, and the second one is where things kind of get into more controversy, is they often act um, on deception, trickery, lying, and deceit, and make it more dangerous than we realize. And the third one is they're far more, uh, they're far smarter, more advanced than we are. We never have the proof we're looking for to prove their existence. They offer just enough of the carrot to keep us following, but we'll never learn who operates the stick. And basically, that's um, how really ultimately we are in the year 2020, and we probably know as much about these being as the ancient Greeks did. You know, we don't have anything solid. We don't even know, like, what they are, um, people even deny their existence completely like that. So you think in like 2,000 years, you really haven't made much much progress with, um, with the supernatural. And number four is they'll always be part of our culture. There are media entertainment stories. And if something involving you appears too fantastic to be true and still for entertainment, it most likely is a hoax. That's where you get into like the movies and Hollywood. Um, television shows, because now there's like this big explosion of, of television shows around with all this kind of stuff and everything, and um, I personally just think you have to take this kind of stuff with a grain of salt with it, uh, with, with that kind of with that kind of stuff like that, because I don't think you're going to get a bona fide, uh, solid um, proof of a haunting on a television show. It's just not going to happen. Um, and the fifth is they play some sort of a game, and we're in the middle of it. In some ways, they were interested in us as we are in them, but while they fascinate us, we humor them. Because they have that trickster element to them. They always have that trickster element to them. Like, um, if you look at just the way... If you look at the whole process of my book, I kind of show how, in a lot of ways, they'll lead us on, they'll lead us on, they'll lead us on, and then they'll just completely drop and nothing will happen like something really interesting will happen you get out the camera it completely stops 
uh, you'll hear something, you'll get like a, um, an EDP or a voice recording. It'll just be one word, and then you'll never get another one like that, you know. Um, or it'll be like something that will make very little sense in the context of it. Like you'll get like one word. Well, what does that mean? You know, where, where are you going with this? Can you elaborate on this? No. You know, it's, it's, it's those kind of um, things they do like that. And um, number six is they'll eventually harm us more even coming close with them. And frequently we least expect it. And they never act on cue. So those are my six tenants when it comes to this kind of stuff. And the reason why I say that one is because of the many, many experiences where somebody will go into a haunted environment and they'll be like, um, okay, I want you to do something now. Prove me exist. Move this. Or do this. Or do that. They try to like almost like act like they're, they're trick seals or something like that. But then they come home, and three weeks later, they have a two-year-old that has nightmares for months and months on end of of a, of a something that they can't quite understand or something like that. Um, they will go after family members, and I've seen that happen as well with it, too. And uh, in my experience, when it comes to anybody who's investigating this stuff, it's not even necessarily the entity that is your worst enemy. It's your ego. That's... Yeah really the biggest the biggest thing I look at it because there's a lot of um there's a lot of arrogance with these guys that fold their chest that fold their arms and puff out their chest and have this I'm not afraid of anything kinda of like that. And then if they um their four year old has not slept in weeks because there's something in the corner of the room terrifying them that that that, that big shield then is getting put down really quickly because no, it's not going to come after you. It's going to go after the weakest person in your family. And I've seen that happen plenty of times as well, and I write about that. See, and, and I've I've had plenty of uh, reports that have been given to me, and I've had some experiences, and I'm sure Moniz and Stephanie have too, where you do deal with something that seems like, you know, it's lying, that there is yep. deception, that it is trying to out, outsmart you and trying to trick you. But I don't know if that's necessarily true for, for every everything that I've encountered. Uh, I think it's the default. I do think it's the default with this stuff. And one of the reasons why I say that is because uh, if you look at the whole spiritualist movement that happened um, with the Fox sisters and the psychics and mediums and that stuff, I do a comparison with that and the revival um, movement that was happening in Britain when Christianity was like this revival. And you see the exact same thing happen in both those cases. These um, spirits, or whatever they are like that, give enough information to the mediums to give them kind of notoriety, some entertainment, some this, some that. And then when they need them the most for something, for example, um, on October 31st, 2025, there's going to be a huge thing that's going to happen, and it never happens. But they were accurate all the way up until that point, until that big, huge thing has happened. And that happened to um, a guy, you know, the, the leader of the, um, the revival movement in um, Britain, for example. The Fox sisters ended up becoming um, alcoholics. They basically died penniless. And if you look at a lot of people that were involved in this, um, if you look at their lives as they, go, as they went on, they end up betrayed, they end up a little crazy, they end up alcoholics or drug addicts, 
and they end up um, they end up basically falling from grace, and um, they lose all their credibility. And it's kind of interesting how they'll be accurate, and I've seen it time and time again. They'll be accurate about this stuff, and they're communicating with these things up until a certain point, and then suddenly they'll make a prediction or they'll do something like that, and it'll just be completely wrong, and then that's it. So what's the difference between that then and that now? That's that's how I see it like well, that. I, I, I don't trust them personally. I don't trust what they have to say, and um, I don't trust what they um, have to do because they will lead you in uh, initially until they can you know, play the trick. I think the, the the bigger issue though with that isn't so much about what the spirit's doing. It's some it's that you have this proliferation of people who claim to have abilities that probably don't. So then, yeah, it's easy to make a it's easy to make a, a prediction or to to make a statement and you know ride on that until it doesn't become true. But what about the ones that make them and they do come true? We have, I mean, we have a psychic medium here with us, Stephanie Burke, uh, and so. Stephanie, you encounter spirits. You talk to them differently than than Moniz or myself or Al do. How do you know when somebody when it's telling you the truth or if it's if it's deceiving you? I think um, intuition probably plays a big part of that. Um, you know, doing what I do, obviously, I can see them, hear them, speak to them. Um, but it's the same way for myself as it is if I was to have a conversation with you Tim right in front of me I know when you're lying and I know when you're not lying and the spirit is no different than a regular well, everyday person for me let me take that a step back though okay. because when you say that you can look at me and tell if I'm lying right like we have to add that you do have an extra layer of intuition correct that the rest of us don't have so that's what even, I was saying yep you know so even if, if I'm looking at somebody you can lie to my face and and maybe, you know, I catch on, but maybe right. I also, you know, get duped. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that's the same thing that's happening with some of these paranormal investigators, too. Uh, and, and what Al's talking about is that they, they are being duped. Do you think that it's harder than, Stephanie, for these things to pull one over on somebody like yourself as opposed to the rest of us? I'll say it's harder. Absolutely. For myself, I can't speak for other psychic mediums because every single one of us are different. Um, but for me... Um, I've never had an experience where they've lied to me and I've gone with it. I've always known when something is deceiving or something is not being truthful because I'm able to tell the difference. Um, but when it comes to your everyday paranormal investigator, they're going to take whatever they hear off of their BP meters and flashing lights and, you know, broken radio equipment and go ahead and say like, oh, did you hear that? This is exactly what we're getting. I think one of the most common things that people do, and I find it funny because they're looking for a certain answer. Um, they just run with it. They don't care who's saying it. They don't care where the source is coming from. They're just looking for, like we talked about, the Lizzie Borden house. If they hear something that even remotely sounds like Lizzie, they're going to run with it. And you right. have a spirit there that we know deceives people regularly but we know that because we've been in there and we've had the experience to realize that okay this thing is not truthful because it's acting as something else but nobody ever takes that into consideration because what they see on tv is what they believe to be true right and that plays into how what you're talking about about how you know it, it it can deceive people so maybe maybe it's harder for them to deceive stephanie but certainly you know the average run-of-the-mill paranormal investigator could be duped 
Well, I agree with that, but we're also looking at two different things. One is um, when you talk about a, somebody who's crossed over and when somebody who has not crossed over. And I personally, I think that when something has crossed over and they kind of like, I believe when, some, when, when um, somebody dies and they cross over, if they want to look after us or whatever like that, then they'll look after us and kind of do like whatever like that. But if somebody has not crossed over and if they were somebody who was really bad in life and they're working out their comrades or unfinished business, they're not going to have somebody become Mr. Rogers when they die. So you're going to have that, that aspect of it, too. They're going to be, they, I think that they're going to, most, for the most part, they're going to be just as deceitful. And I do think that, for the most part, um, there are a lot of ghosts out there, if you want to call them ghosts, the disembodied spirit of a person who has not crossed over. They're going to have a lot of dysfunction to them. And that, 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 as a result of that dysfunction, there's going to be some deception that's going to come with that as well. With I, it. I think what you're describing doesn't happen as often as you think it does. Um, you know, when somebody has crossed over, they don't come back to speak to a, a voice recorder. Um, it's just not what they do. That's not how they communicate. They I don't understand. need to. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. it, when you come, when you're describing a person that has passed on and is hanging around and they were a jerk in life of course they're going to be a jerk in death your personality does not change whether you cross over or not i actually uh-huh. deal with it in gallery readings all the time where well, someone that's cranky in life is a ha- absolutely 100 percent the same we, way when they cross i don't over. think we can talk in absolutes because there's got to be sometimes the possibility if somebody says oh crap i'm dead now i should probably you know smarten up a little bit or maybe they have the realization that the stuff that they were you know, angry about or holding on to before it no longer matters. Yeah, but so, we're also discussing those that have not crossed over that are just hanging around in haunted houses too. But you don't but, think even those... So, hold on. The not crossed over, you're also saying don't realize that they're dead? No. Some absolutely realize that they're dead and they're still the same way. Your personality doesn't change. And even in gallery readings, and you're saying not to speak in absolutes, I'm going to speak in an absolute when it comes to if you were not a nice person here and you cross over, and you're coming to a gallery reading to speak to your family, you're still not nice, but you accept your responsibilities. You don't come through with love and light, and oh my God, I love you, I miss you, because that person that's sitting there waiting for their validation is going to be like, that's not my relative. Yeah. So, that's oh, not. So, so you're saying they're, they're... Their personality stays 100% the same. They will say, Well, they're hey, coming back with that personality. They're, they're being the same they person stay they the were. same way. That That... That part of us does not change, but That's they do say, their imprint. That's look, who they are. right, yeah. you can't change a soul. You cannot change. They can accept responsibility for who they are, but you cannot change the but makeup I, of But I've soul. had conversations with people that have had near-death experiences that have come back from near-death experiences being living. completely changed. Yeah, they came they're back. They're still living. <laughs> but, wouldn't, but wouldn't that same thing that you experience if you experience it and just ended up on the other not side? Not always. Wouldn't yeah. that have the nope, same effect? I, I have them come back and like they'll say, like you know, things are different for me now. I realize where I made my mistakes. They'll say, like, look, I'm, I'm coming to you to say like I, I loved you the best I could. I'm sorry that I screwed up. I'm sorry this or that. Like they do accept and own up to what happened, but they're not full of unicorns and glitter because that's not who they were. They're still really serious. You know, people that were shy are still very shy. You know, those personality traits don't change. They don't just do, you know, this, this flip of who they are. So, um, you know, that, that's a whole different level of things. The aspect of those that have not 
crossed over that are still hanging around, they're going to be the same way, but they're still going to act in that, you know, what, what Al was describing is like criminal behavior. You know what I mean? Like you're going to, you know, lie, cheat and steal the same way you did. You know, that part gets erased when you cross over because you realize you had wrongdoing. But when it comes to, you know, you're hanging around, you're doing whatever. I find that those spirits don't necessarily bother to lie about who they are or what's going on because that's the least of their concerns. I find the ones that will lie to you can be playful like children, um, like ghosts that like to play jokes on you or elemental spirits. Those are the ones that usually tend to lie to you about who they are. And this leads to the question that I wanted to ask you earlier. What is the percentage of spirits that try to lie to you versus ones that don't? Is that to Al or to Stephanie? No, to Stephanie. That would require me doing a record book of every single spirit I've ever come across in my almost 32 years of life and doing math, and I'm not doing that. Could you kind of guess? If I can interject for a minute, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. Um, I just want to give an example of this um, that I actually have in my book because we're looking at a lot of things like that, and this, 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 what we're talking about right now is um, ghosts. But again, like I have in the book, there are other other things. And one um, woman that I knew who was a channeler was um, channeling various um, spirits, and she was very she, was, she had like a following down here in this area. And I was getting a little bit suspicious with some of the things that she was saying, even though she was very bonafide with these very um, advanced spirits, as she called them. Like, some of them were like St. John the Evangelist, and and people that were like, she basically said they all had like multiple um, personalities because they reincarnated so much. And, that, and then one of them told her that it was okay for her to start smoking again. Right. And that was the biggest red flag for me. It's like, why would this kind spirit tell her that it's time for her to, that uh, she could start smoking again? And then I'll never forget when she sat me down and told me that um, the spirits are going to take me very soon, and I need you to help me with my will. And I yeah, had okay. to, um, me and a couple of friends, I had to call her family up and put her on a suicide watch because she was so convinced that she was going to die that very night. And she did not die that night. She actually lived about 67 more years, but she did eventually die of lung cancer. You know, and the whole thing was, oh, yeah, the spirit guides, the spirit guides. And when you would confront her and say, look, these things aren't good. Oh, no, they just have a different purpose than we do. You don't understand their ultimate purpose in things. And I have seen things like that happen so many times with people who like that's what I was saying like about these these whatever they are on the other side I don't trust them and I don't trust them based on what they have done to people that I have known whether it's whether it's um a ghost whether it's something that has crossed over whether it's something that they're channeling regardless of what it is I don't trust any of them and that's just an example of why I, I don't trust them. I think what you should be doing or what you should be looking at is not trusting the living person that's relaying yeah, that was the, first the one popped into messages. My head. And not all of us are like that. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and apologize to you, even though it has nothing to do with me. But I think you are well, you're barking up the wrong trees. You're looking for the you're looking at and you're looking to the wrong people. Um, 
Message- well, I'm not looking to them. I'm just, I'm just saying that I was friends with this particular person. Well, I, I think you should probably cut off that friendship. Well, um, she, she died. Okay, well, that's... She's been dead for about five years now. I will never say that that's for the best, but it sounds like she was hurting a lot of people on purpose for, the, for monetary gain. Um, she never gained a cent from it. Never from it. Let me tell you, she did somewhere, whether you know about it or not, because people don't do that for free for no reason. Um, they do it for the notoriety and they do it for the fame and they do it for the, the cash. Um, I watch it happen all over the world all the time. Um, when somebody channels and I can channel myself, not every medium can, the information that comes through is so incredibly scarily accurate that there's no way that you question the information that's coming out of their mouth. They say things that there's no way that they could know and that is current to your life or is about to happen and 100% comes true. The thing that I tell people all the time when they go to demonstrations, uh, like the one that you described, you know, she's channeling this, this higher being. A, how can we even validate that because we weren't alive during that lifetime? Anything that they come through with um, claiming to be that person is written in a book somewhere in a history book. So there's plenty of information that's public. So you could just study it beforehand and say whatever, you know, that you read and the information that you're describing that she's saying, Oh, this will happen to you soon or you should start smoking again. That's not information that comes through. You know, if somebody wants to channel through and you look at them and you say, this is what's going on in your life right now. Talk about very specific things. There's no way that the information can be, inaccurate that is true channeling um so whatever you witnessed is a hundred percent fraud um by what you're describing i was not there but your your examples are that um you know if you take a good medium and a medium and a psychic are two totally different things but if you take a good medium an evidential medium those that are sitting in the the audience will be able to hear names dates specific types of events, current events, past events, future events that are happening. I'm able to stand there and tell people, you know, this is so-and-so, this is, you know, what they looked like, this is how they pass, this is what's going on in your current life right now that they want to bring up. Hey, you're pregnant with a girl, 100% accurate, you know, different things like that. So it's not, um, you know, mediums that stand there and say, I'm getting the color yellow. What does yellow mean to you? I'm seeing the number seven. Do you have seven brothers and sisters? Like nobody should ever sit in front of a medium and have them ask questions for information uh, or even, you know, tell somebody you should do, you know, something as bad as smoking again. Um, you know, especially if the person ended up dying of lung cancer, that's horrendous. So um, I, I'm sorry that you experienced that, but please don't judge all of us or, you know, think to yourself that every spirit well, that comes I'm, through I'm, I'm is lying because of that. It's not that I'm judging people, it's not the, the individual, it's whatever is behind the individual that I want to well, I think it, a lot of times the individual has the best intentions, but I don't believe whatever they're channeling has the best intentions for us, no. And a lot of part of my, and, and um, that's really a big part of what my book is about, is um, the deception that has actually occurred. And I have gone all the way back from the Oracle of Delphi, all the way through the medieval period, all the way through the spiritualist movement, all the way up to now, and I have shown how, in cases time and time again, there is that uh, very strong element of deception that actually occurs with, um, with this kind of stuff. And um, I'm not saying it to attack it personally. I'm saying that this has been my experience and my, my research with it. So um, and, and I, if, if I, I sound like I'm painting with a broad brush, that's just been my, my, um, my, my experience um, with, the, with this kind of stuff with it. You going to say, sir? 
I was, I was going to say, like, we've had plenty of uh, examples ourselves in situations where we know that we've been being toyed with. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, getting back to right. the spirit side of yeah. things. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we, we've, we've encountered that more often than not. And, and also, and I'm sure you know this, Al, from having encountered it yourself, that once you do, it, if, if you're doing your job right, it should make you hesitant about a lot of future interactions that you have and the interactions that other people have. And I sit kind of in, in the same, you know, kind of armchair quarterback spot of watching other people who are reporting what it is that they're coming in in their investigations. And I'm saying to myself as a, they're describing what happened, you're getting played like a fiddle. And and well, people don't, don't you, realize it. If you look at it the way it is now compared to the way it was before, for the most part in our history, we've always had like somebody that was kind of like a little bit on the edges of society and if there was a haunting or something like that, they would go in, they would identify the problem, and they would either they would get rid of it or they would figure what to do with it or whatever like that. If it was somebody who was pretty much trained, whether it was a shaman or it was like a wise person or somebody like that that would go in and do it. You didn't have just an amateur going walking in there with a meter or something like that trying to make contact with it. Even the spiritualist movement, they would have a circle from a circle and kind of like invite it in. And then at the end, and they would even say, like, you know, you don't break the circle. There'd be some sort of a ritual and a method of protection that was involved with it. That's gone for the most part with when it comes to investigations now. They go in because they want to provoke it. I've heard paranormal investigators tell me that they want to provoke it because they want to get um, quote unquote activity from it. And they want to have it happen like that. And they'll do anything they can to get it to. Um, React. You you brought up a great word that comes into play with a lot of this, and and it's something that we've talked about uh, both on the air and off the air. Ego, the ego of the investigator. Mm-hmm. More often than Absolutely. not, people are doing this for the for the attention that they'll get from it, rather than trying to you know solve any great mysteries for themselves. And and that ego stands in the way of realizing exactly what's going on and these investigations right in front of people's faces. And one of the things that, that has impacted me is that um, back in 2005, I got hit by a car. I was crossing the street, and um, a car took a turn and clipped my leg, and I went over the hood and landed in the intersection. And when I landed in the intersection, I landed face down, and everything kind of flashed. I lost my hearing. I lost my sight. And um, for a split second, I saw underneath the other, the car, another car. It was like I was kind of like out of my body for a second like that. And then um, I came to, and my leg was busted on impact. They had to, like, put my leg back together again and all this stuff and everything. But that was towards the end of my paranormal investigating. And when I was walking into places of, when I was walking into places that were haunted, I could detect exactly where something was and what they were doing and that kind of stuff. And I would feel like, like I went to one place and I said, like, there's a female up here and she just keeps pacing back and forth, and I don't know what that means. And I would just get impressions with, with that kind of stuff. And about a year later, it went away. It was gone. It never came back. It was just completely gone like that. And I thought, like, well, that was kind of interesting, but if I were to try that now, I know it wouldn't, it wouldn't work because it's just, it was something that was in my head at that time. And it's gone now. So, um, 
I'm, I mean, that, what I'm saying is because I do believe in mediumship, and I do believe that people detect these kinds of things, like with, with uh, Stephanie. I'm not trying to say that I don't believe what's going on with her or anything like that. What I, my whole thing is, I just don't trust the, uh, the whatever it is behind the medium. Is like what I'm what I'm saying with it. And if I could speculate on what I think happened there in, in your case is maybe, you know, because you were you were basically blindsided by this accident, that your intuition kicked up a notch because you were in, put in danger because it, it wasn't working for you. And then once time passed and you realized that, you know, you're not in danger constantly anymore, it, it might have kind of faded well, not away. Only that trauma does kick off a bunch of receptors within the brain. I'm sure Moniz will agree with me, but I'm trying to dumb it down for everybody that's listening. And that can stay with you for a very long time sometimes it it, it's long term like ptsd which does continue that running of those different you are absolutely um, 100 percent medically correct right and and i'm very medical and very scientific when it comes to different things like that absolutely that's the right way i was raised on top Mm -hmm. of being completely weird but um at the same time if you know if it heightens your intuition and it, it gives you this, we'll call it an ability, for lack of a better word. If you don't use that and you're busy in your everyday life and you're, you're turning in a different direction, you're moving away from your trauma, that will disappear. If you wanted to start that back up again, you could. And it has nothing to do with your, your near-death experience. It has everything to do with we all have intuition. We all know when something feels right or wrong. We all yeah. have that that gut feeling that goes, ugh, that I don't like someone. Sense. Right, like, I don't like this person, I have no idea why, or I really like that person. You know, the days before caller ID, it, you you knew who was calling before you picked up the phone. That's your Absolutely. intuition, it's present. We yeah. we would be you know all dead in the watched. water. if Right, we, we would all be dead in the water if we didn't have intuition, it saves our lives on a daily basis. You know? Um, so yours heightened during that time, but once you moved away from the trauma, it could have just gone back to the normal every day. You um, went back to baseline. Right. Well, look what happens with people that have damaged senses. Right. Other senses augment. To, exactly. To, and this is what you're speaking to. You're basically talking about the ability of the body to adapt. Okay, I am now injured. I need a more heightened senses right. to detect things because I can no longer get out of the way quicker. Mm-hmm. So and a lot of people the, just think that that's anxiety. It's not necessarily anxiety. Right. There are certain chemicals in the brain, you know, various things like dopamine yes. and other things that, you know, can be enhanced because of injury. Right. Your brain is filled with a whole bunch of. Right. It's uh, funny that chem- you bring up dopamine because everybody goes, oh, my God, I wake up at three o'clock in the morning and I have no idea what's going on. That's when your body drops the biggest dose dop- of dopamine, dopamine. Correct. Every single night. But right. people don't know that. But it's a witching hour. <laughs> right. They think it's a witching hour, but it's your body's literally Correct. doing something that it's supposed to do, Correct. which makes you wake up. It's an endocrine system. Right. You uh, can't control it. Right. So. Yeah. Well, we do have a. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Go ahead, Al. I guess the other part of it was like if I was still there, I didn't want to be known as the the Van Dorn Street ghost. And have people like go there and go like, oh, gee, maybe we could pick something, some vibes up over here because this is where he was hit and killed, you know. And I just had that thought like that, and I just said, you know, we've really got to treat these things, whatever they are, with some respect, especially if it's somebody who died in an untimely manner, because there's a lot of that like spooky kind of like jokey stuff that happens a lot of times with with these things as well with it, right. and that just was one of the things that really 
really got me thinking about that is that, you know, I survived that, but a lot of us did not. You know, and it doesn't mean that it's going to be like, you know, the, the butt of jokes or urban legends or, you know, deers from teenagers and those kinds of things that happen a lot of times when, when, when these things kind of happen like that, too. And you have to keep in mind that there's, you know, there's always living relatives of, of those who are the ghosts that we're looking for, too. We've, we've had it happen here where yeah. there's, you know, there's a, a certain location that we're not allowed to talk about the ghost there because the family gets mad mm-hmm. when we start talking about the fact that it's the former owner's ghost. And they're like, it's not, a, it's not his uh-huh. ghost. You know, you know, there's no such thing as ghost. Stop, stop saying that his ghost is there. So you kind of yeah. run into that. We, we do have a, a call on the line. If you want to take a quick call, Al, we'll see if uh, we'll see if it'll work, if you can hear it well over on your end. Okay, we'll see. Sure. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with our guest, Al Tyus. What's shaking, fella? Hey, Lamone. Do you, have a, hey. do you have a question for the guest? Because we've only got a little bit of time left with him. I've got, I've got a few questions. I'd like to... Uh, I'd, well, let, let me go to this news first. On the 28th of January, the 85th anniversary of the first can of beer being pulled, and last Saturday when I called... The, um, the, uh, the, on the country, you know, the national channel had the image, uh, NC, NCAA, CP, NCAA, NCAAPP, uh, image awards on there. Mm-hmm. So I, I just thought that was kind of, you know, going like the last days. So did you let Matt see that, uh, see, look at that video I just sent you with the card? No, I haven't, I haven't had a chance to show him oh, yet. Yeah, you should look at that. And, and, um, Stephanie earlier, when you were saying it's hot in here, you remember the song by Nelly, uh, all right, we're, it's getting hot in Yeah, here. we're going okay. off on tangents, Lamone. Right, now I'm Get going to your question. talk about your guest. So, um, yes, I've, uh, did you, I've got like uh, something I got from a uh, Islamic uh, cleric a long time ago, back, I want to say like maybe 20 years ago, in this item. And when you get around people, get around spirit, you get around uh, the gin kind of spirit, you'll, it, it'll shake, it'll, it'll vibrate. And I've had it around people like this, people that I've met that were um, very very dark with them and they some people that have come back from like uh over there uh come back like over there fighting over there in, over there in the middle east american soldiers they've come back they've had that kind of thing i mean it shakes it, it shakes really bad you can feel it shaking and and, and it's like and the, the, he gave it to me i was like okay you know he was a, he was a really really spiritual guy and he was really nice to me and it was like when the first started shaking i, I didn't under, believe it and i was like okay well i believed it but i was like geez it's shaking and I was looking at the person with a girl, and it was like, oh no! It's like I was like, get away from me! Then again, you know, but it's like I, it's something I think that would be good to go around with uh, youth, help people that aren't necessarily Christians or Judeo Christians, because I know like a lot of times, let's say if with the Muslim, uh, the Muslim kind of like the jinns, they're not they're, a lot of times they're not uh, not uh, bothered by the, by Christ's name, but if you say Jehovah or Yahweh, that's what gets them. And right. See, that's that's something that that's you know I, I I didn't hear anything talked about that. That's something that should be talked about. All right. Well, we're gonna you know? we're gonna let Al respond to that, Lamone. Uh, thank okay. you very much for the question. Okay. Thank, thank you, children. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye. And All right. I'll see you soon. Take it easy. <laughs> and what do you think about that, Al? What do you think about uh, you know a way to tell when there's a gin around? Is is there any way that well, you can tell that's what you're dealing with? Yeah, he raises a few a few points with it that I think are pretty interesting. And one is that. Um, about the, about what he was talking about, the thing that actually vibrates or whatever that kind of was like that. Um, because the, I think that's the biggest thing with gin is that they could be bound into jewelry. And that's becoming more and more of a problem over here because the American soldiers are going over to the Middle East 
um, going into war, they're just buying jewelry for their wives or family or whatever like that. And when they come back, that whatever that is can actually cause activity and make things very, very hard for them. That's definitely something that I have um, noticed um, quite a bit about with it. And what I've just noticed with, with um, Jen is that uh, they, is, is the question really more like the difference between whether or not it's a jinn or if it's a ghost, or is it more like um, how to identify a jinn or how to know if a jinn is there? Because I wasn't quite clear on that, that part of it. Yeah, I mean, it it. just... It, are there ways that you can tell what you know? You th- you think these are all kind of just levels, kind of of the same type of activity? Um, different different um, beings create different things. Is what I'm what I'm looking at with it. Like there are things that Jin can do that a, that a ghost can't do, for example. So in just like the, in the couple moments that we have left here in the in the show, is there a way that people can can tell what they're dealing with? Uh, I think the way you would deal with that is just by um, what what the activity actually is with it. You would have to look at um, what the activity is um, with it. And if you could document what exactly it's doing, then you have an idea of what it actually is. Like if it's really bad nightmares or if you're getting like bruises on your body or if you... Um, there are just different things like that that'll come up and it'll let them know like... Um, in my experience, I have not seen like ghosts sexually attack, but other things will sexually attack. Uh, for example, in the cases I've worked on, I only had one case where a woman was actually sexually attacked, and that was a sin, uh, for example. Um, and then there are other things like that. And I see ghosts as being more of a nuisance or being relatively harmless for the most part, but gin are a lot more dangerous if you um, encounter one and if you make it angry there's going to be a lot more um, violence that could be involved with that. All right. And when, just in the final moments that we have here, why don't you let everybody know one more time uh, how they can pick up the book and how they can follow along w- w- with you and, and other uh, other discussions that you'll be having. Sure. I have a, I have a um, Facebook page called uh, Project Rabbit Hole, and occasionally updated with various things uh, there. And I also... Um, have my author page on Amazon. You can uh, look me up on Amazon, look up Project Rabbit Hole. My book will come up there. Um, like I said, you have a discount on it um, on the Lulu page, Lulu.com slash A-T-Y-A-S. And that actually has my biography in there as well, which shows kind of like my background and what I've kind of done to reach this point uh, to kind of like get to know a little bit more of of my um, particular background with why I chose to write this book and where I went with that. And they can look that up as well. And uh, through the Project Rabbit Hole page on Facebook, I'm happy to answer any questions up there. And if somebody purchases the book under lulu.com, they'll get access to my um, private email there, and they can contact me there as well. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us and uh, for kicking around some of these topics with us tonight. Thank you. Appreciate it. And have a great night. Thanks, everybody. Have you too. Thank you. Bye-bye. And uh, we are just about out of time. Uh, again, there will be no show next week as uh, it will be out of the studio, but we'll be back the week after that and then gone the week after that, but then back the week after that. But that's okay because uh, there's there's still plenty of archives for you to check out. If you go to SpookySouthCoast.com or wherever you get your podcasts, you'll be able to pick up all of the past episodes of the show. And... This is, I forget what number we're on, but over 600 now. So Mm -hmm. I don't know what we're going to do when we get to 666, 
but we're going to have to do something really, either really cool or <coughs> yep. like we're just going to have to pretend like it's not happening when it's happening. But it's it's on the horizon. Maybe maybe next year we'll hit that. So Sounds good. 666 episodes. I think what we'll do is we'll just offer up Moniz to get possessed. That's already How happened. How would people right. tell the difference? Right. <laughs> we'll just give him a grape juice box to get out of it. Well, the Woo! fun the fun part will be when your head starts to spin around. Again, how would they know the difference? All right, so that'll do it for this week's show. If you want to reach out to us at any point during the week, Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at SpookySC, or you can follow us on Instagram, or you should follow us on both, and that's Spooky underscore South Coast. Uh, And, of course, uh, don't forget to Midnight in the Desert, Monday through Friday at MidnightInTheDesert.com. We have a great lineup of uh, guests coming this week that we will announce tomorrow on the official Facebook page. Until next time, for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, I'm Tim. Stay spooktacular.